Good morning. Joe is away, and I, I would ask you to pray for him and remember him. Be jealous a little bit of him. He is on the Appalachian Trail now, and uh, he should be walking 15 miles today. So hopefully he's about seven and a half, eight by this time. Um, and if not, pray for him because he's in trouble. Uh, <laughs> Because there's no way out of this one except walk all the way. And then uh, Chad and I will be joining him this week. And we'll, we'll hopefully put a few miles under our boots. But this morning, um, I have the great privilege of opening the scripture to the next passage we come to. And it's 1 Timothy chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 17 through the end of the chapter. And as I read this text, I, I, I kind of laughed and thought, what? I, I don't know anything to call this sermon but random thoughts on elders. I mean, it's just, it's kind of all over the place. But we're going to kind of group those, those thoughts down and, um, to two. Feed and lead. And uh, I want to play a little bit on that feed word because uh, you'll see shortly as we get into this text, it also talks about, quite literally, feeding your elders, particularly those that are on staff. And so I want to read this text again. We're going to break it down. If you don't have a Bible, um, there's one in the seat pockets there in front of you. Grab that. We're going to be referring back over and over today, so I would really encourage you to have that open. Um, we'll have that up on the uh, screen, the page number here in just a moment. But I'm going to read this one more time for us. First Timothy chapter 5, starting in verse 17. It says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. By the way, just a note, the laborer deserves his wages. That's Jesus' words. Paul considered Jesus' words scripture. Um, Verse 19, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sin of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, But the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous. And even those that are not cannot remain hidden. So we're going to break this passage up into just a few sections. And the first major heading we're going to go under is honor elders from verses 17 and 18. Honor elders. So this passage is talking about elders. And for those of you who don't know um, what we've gone through as a church um, one of the reasons we wanted to preach through the book of First Timothy is it talks about elders and deacons and church structure and do this and don't do this. And then this is kind of the nitty gritty of, of life in a church that is elder led. And so we began that officially on January 1st. Um, and we have installed two elders who are not on staff as well as myself, Joe and Chad are our elder board or our elder team. And so what we're going to do is talk about what we do, how the church responds to us, and I hope that you'll see along the way that a lot of this application that's that's really aimed to Timothy, who's an elder, who's a pastor, really is applicable to your hearts as well. 
There's some things that are challenging in this passage to every single person, not just the elders. So I hope that you'll track with me. But there's also some just practical things that we need to know as a church. How do we do this? How do we function this way? So the first thing is honor elders. And by the way, just let me recognize the weirdness of the fact that an elder's preaching on elder, honoring elders. Yeah, get, I don't know any other way to do it. So elders are the ones supposed to be preaching. It says this. We're gonna, okay, here we go. Let the elders who rule well, we're going to talk about what that rule well means, be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. I want to think about this verse and what does it mean to double honor and rule well and all this sort of thing. But first, I, I kind of want to eliminate what it doesn't mean. Um, our dear brothers who are Presbyterians um, and a few other denominations would say this verse is teaching that there are actually two kinds of elders. There's ruling elders, that's the rule well, and then there's teaching elders. And so if you went to a Presbyterian church, the guy who's actually preaching up there in the pulpit, he's not a member of the church. And, and that seems very foreign and weird to us as Baptists, if you've grown up as Baptists. I mean, I'm a member of this church. My family's members of this church. Uh, Joe and his family and Chad and his family, we're members of the church. But a Presbyterian understanding of churches would say, this is actually two different jobs, two different offices. There's ruling elders, those are the guys who are part of the church and they, they kind of lead the day-to-day life of the church. And then there's preaching or teaching elders, and those are, I mean, this is all they do. They preach and teach. As Baptists, and I really believe, truly, this is what the Scripture says, it's not classifying that there are two kinds of elders. It's saying elders should rule well. And those that rule well and those that, that do a lot of extra, well, there's something extra for them as well. Um, and so what we're going to do is talk about how that applies to us. Ruling well is not the sense of this lording over rule like a king rules. It's the word, we would probably use the word leadership, it's actually the same word as, as bishop or overseer. You've heard us use that term before, elder, overseer, pastor, all the same thing. This is that oversee word. And so it's saying that elders who, who lead well, rule well, should be considered worthy of double honor. So let me just stop there and do some application. Um, as we have five elders in this church... Joe and I have been here since day one as elders and pastors. And I can just tell you, it's an honor. And I've grown in this time. Joe has grown in this time. And things have changed. I truly feel like I get to shepherd you as a flock. and That's the greatest privilege and honor I can imagine except being a daddy. And I love it. But practically, we've had Chad, who's been just over two years now as an on-staff elder. And sometimes it's been kind of hard. I was actually having a conversation with a couple of our guys this week. It's like, just now, it's starting to click. Oh, wait, no, Chad's an elder too. And the conversation kind of went on. And it's like, oh, yeah, and we, we got to remember. It's, a, it's hard to remember and think of Jeff who's been my buddy for years and years and years, and, and Steve, who's been my Sunday school teacher, that, that they're also now an elder. 
And there should be a respect and honor. And when, when we speak, and, and particularly when Jeff and Steve and Chad, when they teach God's Word to you, whether that's in a pulpit, whether that's praying, reading God's Word, singing, it comes with just as much weight as if Joe said it. And I want to say to you, from the inside, Jeff and Steve, man, they're doing a phenomenal job on your behalf. These guys are going before the throne of God and praying for you. I'll tell you, Joe, Chad, and I, our prayer for the congregation has increased maybe four or five fold since Jeff and Steve came on. That's what a difference they have made in just helping us focus on praying for you as a congregation. I hope you're getting the texts and the phone calls because we, we are praying for you and we want to pray for you more and more and more. And so I want to say to you as a congregation, they're ruling well. They are leading well. You need to respect and honor these men. You need to give them the credit for what they're doing. And you need to treat them like the elders that they are. And I love you. And I know sometimes that's hard because we don't, nobody likes authority. That's no fun. But these guys, they've been given charge of your souls before God. Make sure we treat them like that. And let me encourage you, if you don't know these guys, reach out, take time, get lunch, dinner, coffee, whatever works for you. Get to know these guys and enjoy and be blessed by the care of your soul. They love you very, very much. And they are praying for you in tears. Um, so honor elders who rule well. And let me tell you, our, our elders, particularly our lay elders right now, they're ruling well. And then it goes on and it says, especially, all right, so there's, there's something going on here extra. Those who labor work that, that word labor it is hard labor this is like a day labor out in the fields who work hard at preaching and teaching and so i, I want to pull now okay we've talked about jeff and steve but i also want to now pull a little bit to chad joe and myself our jobs are to be an elder and, and it gets weird saying lay elder and staff elder, so I'm just going to give you the nomenclature that we figured out. It's not that it's special or right or anything like that. It just works. We've called our guys who are on staff who are elders pastors. Jeff, back there in the sound booth, Steve over there in the kids' area, are they pastors? Absolutely. Pastor, elder, overseer, all the same term. The guys who are on staff, we've just called them pastors because it's a whole lot easier than saying lay elder, staff elder, paid elder. It just Y'all got my nomenclature here? It's just easy, all right? So pastors, Joe, Chad, and myself, according to this scripture, we're to labor. And that word, again, is day laborer. It is work hard. We need to be busting every day on your behalf and on behalf of the kingdom of God. Some people have gone into the ministry out of visions of grandeur. They want to be the guy up front. But let me tell you, a pastor's job, this is great, and I love to preach. That's not most of what I do. 
Even Joe, who's the guy up here most weeks, what, 70, 75% of the weeks, his main work is not this preaching. It's not being up in front of people. It's not that. It's hard work. This week we actually had the conversation among staff. We need to be working even a little harder at our sermons. We need to be pulling out the Greek books, the big heavy monsters. And then it took that this week. It's hard work. It's not about lazy. And by the way, congregation, it's also not about just a good, willing, nice guy. We need to be able to toe the line. There's accountability for us too. And the congregation, I just told you about honoring everybody, but hear this, expect a lot out of us. If we're not meeting the standards, if we're not leading well, man, you need to call us account. You need to get in our grill a little bit. Hey, you guys are blowing it in this. Not in a mean way, not in an angry way, but we're called to work. Just as every one of you is called to work, and it's not to be a slop job. It's not to be just a good, willing, good old boy who loves everybody. It's someone who's skilled and is constantly learning and getting better and better and better. And we want to do that. I know that's my heart, and I know that's Joe's heart, and I know that's Chad's heart. But we need you to help us hold accountable to that, to work hard. And so those who are, who are especially focused on the preaching and teaching, again, those staff elders, are worthy of double honor, all right? And this is where it gets even more awkward. Not only do I have to talk to you about honor, I've got to talk to you about double honor. And, and specifically what it's talking about here is financial provision. So I'm about to preach to the people who pay my salary about my salary, all right? That's what Joe isn't here. Um, he knew what was coming. But it says this. Let me read it again. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. In other words, they're talking about uh, they typically used round um, millstones back then. And so an ox would walk round and round and round and stuff would fall out. And I'm saying, don't put a muzzle on it where it can't, you know, take a little snack as it's going. It can't be satisfied while it's working. And then Jesus quoted this other passage the laborer deserves his wages. And so I kind of want to track back, go all the way back to the Old Testament and and look over a little bit of history of what is this? Where is we coming into? Because they quote the Old Testament. So I think we need to go to the Old Testament first. There were 12 tribes of Israel and one of them was kind of a double tribe. That's Joseph's kiddos. And one of those tribes, the Levites, the sons and great grandsons and all that of Levi, were to lead the people in worship. They were to teach the people. They were to care for the temple. They were to offer the sacrifices from the Levites were the people who were called to be priests. So here's what I want to just time out and stop and not do. Pastors, elders, we are not Levites, okay? Or It's not about genetics. It's not which group we came from. It's not any of that. We're certainly, certainly, certainly not priests. We're not fathers. I want to quote a scripture to you. Matthew 23, 9. This is Jesus speaking. He said, and call no man on earth your father. It's not talking about your dad. It's talking about a a priest. For you have one father who is in heaven. That's why I could never serve in a denomination that that do refer to the clergy as priests. It's just not biblical. That's not what we are. 
I'm not a go-between for you and Jesus. All right? You and God. You go directly. Jesus is the go-between. All right? So you, in that theory, don't need me. If there's something to pray about, I'll pray with you about that. You can get to pray about it too. So let me be really clear. I'm not trying to equate staff pastors with Levites in that sense. But these were the guys who were taking care of the religious ceremonies. They literally took care of the building. They prepared the sacrifices. They led in singing. That's one of the prime uh, jobs of the Levites was lead in singing. In other words, Chad kind of guys, all right? And they didn't get any land. So Moses divides out. These folks get this portion. These folks get this portion. These folks get this portion. And it's great farmland. And then, oh yeah, you Levites, you get some cities to live in. No farmland. Now some of those people had some parcels and they probably farmed a little bit. But what the Scripture ends up saying is that the people were to take care of them since they led them in worship. All right. So I want to quote you a couple things. Um, this is actually... Um, out of Numbers chapter 18. You don't have to turn there necessarily. I'm just going to read a couple passages. But what it starts with is saying that Levites would basically fill a lot of the same role as pastors and elders. This is Numbers 18.6. It says, And behold, I have taken your brothers the Levites from among the people of Israel. In other words, they, they were set apart in the same way we set elders apart. They are a gift to you. By the way, this is the exact language that Paul uses in Ephesians 4. He said, some have been given as apostles and prophets. We don't have them anymore because we have the Scriptures. And pastor, teachers, and evangelists. They are gifts from God. So it's not so much that I am a gifted person. It's that my person as an elder is a gift from Jesus to this congregation. And, and, and by the way, I know some of you might have unwrapped that gift and been a little sad in the morning. No, this is, but my job is to be a blessing to you. And I know sometimes I'm not good at that job. I want to be, though. And that's what we as elders want to do is be a blessing to you. All right, so let, let me finish reading that scripture. Numbers 18.6. And behold, I have taken your brothers, the Levites, from among the people of Israel. They are a gift to you, given to the Lord. So they're not only a gift to the people, but to the Lord, to do the services of the tent of meeting. In other words, they lead worship. And I really do feel like that's what pastor elders do. They're a gift to you as people. Jesus says, I've led a train of captives, and I'm just going to give out gifts because I'm the victorious reigning king. And here's some of those gifts. They're the pastor teachers. But not only that, it also says, I'm sorry, Numbers 18.21. Here's the other end of it. Numbers 18.21. To the Levites, I have given every tithe in Israel for an inheritance. In return for their service that they do, their service in the tent of meaning. So the tithes of the people quite literally paid the salary of the Levites. Now, the tithe was brought not just in cash. All right, you also got to remember, this is an ancient culture. A lot of the tithes, 
bad, all right, and mood, all right. Some of the ties were grain. It, it was literally bundles of wheat. Some of the ties were bread. Some of the ties were oil, olive oil. So it wasn't just cash, but, but they provided for the Levites. This is literally what the Levites ate. They didn't have their own farms. It wasn't their gifting, their time, their position, their assignment to be farmers like everybody else. They were to take care of the people and lead them in that. So now let's, let's jump back to Timothy. After we have that kind of perspective, remember that, and he's going to refer back to the Old Testament. So what does he mean when he say they are worthy of double honor? What he's saying is not just the honor of listening to them and respecting them, which would be due every elder, but also the honor of financial support. All right? And so some elders, according to God's word, are worthy of financial support. And here we call those folks our pastors. That's Joe, Chad, and myself. Um, I've talked to you. He uses the word labor. It's not a, a, an easy job. It's not to get out of work. It's that this is our jobs. We need to put in the long hours. But as a congregation, you need to pay us from putting in the long hours. Um, we need to be the buck stop. If it doesn't get done, if something falls through, yeah, that's what we're going to do. But you need to make sure we have the ability and the time to do that as a congregation. Um, there's an old thought and an old saying, you've got to keep the preacher poor or he's going to get cocky. One, I don't really like that statement. Um, but two, and I speak this truthfully, we're reading God's word. The statement's false. Paul says, count them worthy of double honor. Don't, don't tread the ox. The worthier labor is worthy of his wages. It's that idea is a violation of Scripture. Um, John Piper, who, and I wanted to quote him particularly because he has served as a pastor. He is now, he's retired. He is no longer a pastor. He's got no skin in the game, so to speak, anymore. He, he said it this way. Your church is failing if you keep your pastors poor or you make them rich. Let me say that again, because that's a lot of wisdom in that statement. Your church is failing if you keep your pastors poor or you make them rich. He also said it this way. Don't give so your pastor can buy a jet. But do give so your pastors don't drive a junker. I'm going to say that one again. Don't give so your pastors can buy a jet. But do give so that your pastors don't drive a junker. It's even alliterated. He must be Baptist or something like that. I want us to think how we can apply that here. And, and, and I'm not preaching this so I can get a raise, although that would be nice. Um, and specifically, we actually did choose me to preach this passage instead of Joe because I don't sit in the meetings where salaries are assigned. Chad and I don't. Our lead pastor does. 
And, and so there's a reason he's not preaching this text. Is we, we don't want to be obnoxious. And, and by the way, as churches go, we're, we're doing about average. All right? So please don't hear this as, I need money, you know, you, we're going to pass the plates again. It's not that. But there are some biblical principles here. So first, if you want your pastor spiritually focused, don't stress them out financially. If you want your pastor spiritually focused, don't make them stress all the time about finances. Um, again, back to John Piper, one of the ways he said it is don't make your pastors moonlight. They maybe have opportunity to do something extra, and that's great. But he said, don't force them to moonlight. He also said, don't force their wives to cover your lack of providing a good salary. Two, they should be able, and this is not John Piper. This is, I've worked on this one, and I hope it's clear. Your pastor should be able to afford to live close enough to practice hospitality and evangelize the community near the church. So, so our congregation meets in Nolansville. That, I don't know that that means every pastor should be able to afford to live in Nolansville or every pastor has to live in Nolansville. But we should be able to live close enough that we can reach out to Nolansville, that we're not a stranger to Nolansville. Uh, we don't want mercenary pastors who have to fly in from somewhere else. We want pastors who are part of the community. Um, third, your pastor should be able to afford to do life with the congregation. In other words, we should be able to afford, if, if you ask us to a restaurant, it should not give us panic attack because of your choice of restaurant. And, I'm not, and occasionally there's special stuff and all that. I, but like, think through that. I mean, you want us to be able to be with you. And we should. That's what a pastor do is, is we do life together. And so we should be able to afford to do that. Um, so here's the deal. There's no vote on a raise. There's no proposal for a raise. There's no, we ought to do this, we ought to do this. I, I want to leave that in this congregation's hands. And by the way, y'all have taken great care of us. And in conversation with somebody this week, I was even saying, man, I don't know of anyone else who goes to work every day with their best friends. That's an incredible blessing. I don't know of too many of my pastor friends who get to shepherd a healthy church. Congregation, you're a rarity. You are a rarity. And I am so grateful. Um, I had a pastor friend who tried to buy me out of this place a while back to come work with him. And I, I flat out told him, there's no way. I'm not going there. I love y'all. And y'all love us. And we're so grateful because you have taken steps to take care of us. And we're so grateful for that. Thank you, congregation. But we do, as a congregation, constantly need to be evaluating this, just as your businesses evaluate how much is somebody paid every year. Our church needs to do the same and just make sure it's appropriate. All right, 
So honor elders. Number two, take accusations against elders seriously. Number two, take accusations against elders seriously. Verses 19 and 20. And so there's this balance here. It's don't just jump at every little whim. But boy, if there's a problem, come down hard. So kind of track with me as we read through this. Verse 19. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, and this is specifically elders, all right? There is church discipline for everybody who's a member of the church if you're in sin and refuse to repent. But this is specifically talking about elders. If you persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all. I don't know about you. That's not pleasant sounding, all right? This is this... All right, he's going at it. Rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. In other words, if a pastor has to be put under church discipline, what's shared with the congregation should scare the pants out of y'all that they might do it to you. All right, it's not done to you. Please hear that. They should, good gravy, this is serious. That's what it should do when a pastor is rebuked. All right, so let's walk through this practically. First, we need to not take every little myth or frustration with an elder as the end of the world and thinking that they are disqualified. The one thing that the world loves, the only thing that the world loves more than a hero is a fallen hero. Stop messing with Cap, Marl. We need to understand that there are many who would love nothing more to see another pastor fall, even if those charges are made up. As a church, we need to guard our elders by only taking an accusation against an elder if there's actual evidence, meaning multiple witnesses, or, or there's something really to this. We're in a job and in a role where we have to say hard things. And sometimes we say those things wrong. But a lot of times, people just don't like what's said. We said what was according to the Scripture, and people just don't like it. We need to be very careful that we're not going after our elders and, and bringing stuff up or, or gossiping about them just because somebody got irritated about something that was said. If what was said was right. So don't take an accusation against an elder lightly. This needs to be serious. There are proper ways to go about it. It's first to confront that elder. Make sure, hey, what did you mean by that? Because this doesn't seem to be according to Scripture. Please do that because we mess up. Please do that. But two, go to the other elders. If that doesn't work, yeah, it does need to be brought before the church. But understand the seriousness of it. Understand the gravity of it. And the Bible actually says, if you're the one that brings the false charge, it actually says, you are the one who needs to be under church discipline. It calls you a troublemaker. So this is a serious thing. However, there are times when an elder does refuse to repent. They've actually done something, and they're refusing to repent. And church discipline is Totally different for them than it is for the typical church member. It comes hard and it comes fast. Um, and here's why. 
Elders need to be communicating. What I need to constantly be saying to you, not necessarily my words, but my life, is follow me as I follow in Jesus. And that means I take on a greater responsibility on the elder. And so if an elder is caught up in sin, and especially if an elder is caught in sin and refuses to repent, he's failed to be an example. He's failed his office, and he's failed his Savior, and the church is going to suffer for that. And so typical discipline, typical church discipline is extremely slow. It's patient. It's as private as possible unless a person refuses to repent after months and months and begging and pleading. But an elder discipline is more public. It has to go public faster because of that example reason. It comes faster. If my brothers caught me in sin and I didn't repeat this week, you'd be hearing about it next week. I mean, it's because I'm to be an example, and we don't want you to be led astray by an elder who's in sin. And at times, with elders, there may be a result and a need for separation. Because normally church discipline is restoration, and, and there's still a sense where elders need to be restored. But it is different. Sometimes the elder has to go for the health of the congregation. And that, that's a hard... Oh, by the way, I don't like preaching this part, okay? This is, this is scary. This should put fear in my heart and Chad's heart and Joe's heart and Jeff's heart and Steve's heart and anyone who aspires that. And this should scare you a little bit. But it also should be an example to use a congregation that we take this seriously. This is a big deal. Following Christ isn't just a little add-on. It's not just cake at the end of the meal. If you get it, great. If not, eh. It's everything. It is all important. Alright. Last point. Elders must seek to be holy. Verses 21-25. through I'm going to read this again. Elders must seek to be holy. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels. It got serious all of a sudden, right? Did you catch that? I mean, he just, he just throws down everything he can throw down. I charge you to keep these rules. And here's the weird part. I mean, you think, don't do this. Don't commit adultery. Don't commit. Without prejudging. Like, I mean, he goes big. Everything you can call in. And then it seems like to us, it's maybe without prejudging doing nothing from partiality. We'll come back to why that's so important. But catch how how little a thing he makes such a big thing. Verse 22, Do not be hasty in laying on of hands, in other words, making someone an elder, nor take part in the sins of elders. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink a little water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and frequent ailments. Verse 24, The sins of some people are conspicuous going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. And so also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. So first, elders must fight partiality. My job is to care for your souls. Not for certain ones of your souls. So I lead our kids' stuff as well as our adult stuff, but I mean, practically on Sunday mornings, I'm down with the kiddos. My job is to shepherd them. 
But my job as an elder, my role as an elder, is just as much to shepherd the senior adult class that meets in here as the kids that meet over there. And if I'm willing to say, eh, forget them in order for this group, do you see the division and hurt I've caused to the church as a whole? One of the things, and boy, I saw this, I participated in it. God forgive me is on some churches, some staffs, boy, your children's pastor, man, they fight for the man. They're just in it for the kids, and it is tooth and nail. I'll get what I need for those kids. And the student pastor's doing that for a student, and the music pastor, well, he just gets all the money. I don't know how that one ever worked. But, I mean, it's just, there's like, it's been described as these silos. There's the children's silo, and, the, and never shall the two touch. Don't, for heaven forbid, you share your markers with the adult department. You think that's joking, I once made the statement that, hey, we don't need two resource rooms. Everybody can just use the kids' ones. And you had thought I had cussed in the pulpit. I mean, it was, oh, it was, it was on with, anyway. We're to shepherd the congregation. We do want to care for folks naturally. And, and I mean, kids get together and senior adults get together. And, and yeah, so there's, the students like to be, so there's some natural things to that, and that's good, and that's healthy. But Chad can't just be about students and music. He, he's got to be an elder. He's got to make the hospital visits. He needs to make decisions on part of the elder team. He needs to give input on everything from sermons to kids. I go to surf and serve for this very reason. I, I want to be part of our students' lives and shepherding them. I did some research this week, shot it to the stewardship team. Not because I'm on the stewardship team, because we're working together to shepherd our church. The moment Chad thinks only about students, or I think only about programs, we are harming the church. But, but let me go one level deeper. The hardest part about this is that some people are easy and fun. Man, I'd love to go and pray with my brother Russell over lunch five days a week. One, he likes good food, needs more spice on it, but he likes good food, and he's just fun to be around. We enjoy each other. We're friends. One of my dearest friends. But if all I did was disciple Russell, I would be a failure as an elder. I need to disciple Russell. But I need to be focused on the congregation and discipling as many people as I can possibly disciple. Some people are really encouraging and fun and pleasant. Even if they're having a bad time, you, 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 you know, they care and they're listening. And it's easy to shepherd them. Others, it's my job, so I do it. <laughs> I don't know any other way to say it than that. There's a reason y'all have to pay me. No. My job is to shepherd the congregation. And I want you to know, over time, and I say that jokingly, there are times it's hard. And there are people it's easier to be around than others. But you know what? When I was a freshman, 
I had no social skills around people my age. I was great around adults. You put me around teenagers and whoo, bless those teenagers. I didn't know. I, I, just, I was terrible with social skills. I was grumpy. I was arrogant. Holier than thou. And I was miserable and lonely. And two godly seniors reached out to me and taught me how to follow Jesus. Like I knew it from church and my family had taught me, but like that's when it clicked. When I knew I was miserable and unpleasant to be around, but people still came after me and loved me and discipled me. And so let me tell you something, congregation. That guy or that lady that just, what is wrong with them? Maybe you need to ask the question. Because there may be something wrong with them. You never know what's in a person's heart until you start pulling in close. So my prayer for me as an elder... And my prayer, by the way, this, let me apply this to all of us. And this is where I wanted to say, I, I, we got to get in on this as a congregation, is we got to reach out to those that don't fit. Because let me tell you, I'm looking out at y'all. I can see y'all. We're not the cream of crop of Nashville. You know? There's no country music stars in here. There's no, you know, like, that's not who's here. It's us. It's us with every one of our messes, every one of our crazy lives, all of our sin tendencies. We're, we're here because we need the hospital. We're not the doctors. Jesus said it this way. Luke six thirty two. If you love those who love you, Everybody loves the people who love them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that for you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those to whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, hoping to get back the same amount. But love your enemies. And do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons, let me add daughters, of the Most High. For He, get get this, this goes back to God. This is the Gospel right here. For He, God, is kind to ungrateful and evil. That's me, by the way. A sinner. For while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It says, be merciful. Not as you feel like it. Not to the people you like. Be merciful even as your Father, the One who is merciful to you, your Father is merciful. Do you see why prejudice and partiality is such a big deal? (laughs) Why Paul goes big guns on it? We can't be partial. Elders particularly cannot be. But church... We can't be either. We can't be either. All right, next. Verses 22 and then 24 and 25. Don't rush. Don't rush into making someone an elder. 
I hope it shocked a few folks that out of this entire congregation, and by the way, there are lots and lots and lots of godly, godly men in this congregation. But after years of prayer, you know how many we put forth? Two. And I would be willing to bet some of you are shocked at the people we didn't put up. Because they're godly, awesome folks. Boy, we did not want to make the mistake of putting an elder who we, the three of us at the time, and now the five for the next you know, crop of elders coming in. And by the way, that's Lord willing coming very soon. Um, we'll hopefully nominate someone else. Boy, we're... We had hard discussions. Jeff and Steve, and now the other, other person we're talking to, and a couple others of you, I mean, they got a 10-page theological test that would make seminary students cry. I mean, we, we put them through it. And we asked every, trust me, we asked it all. We want to be very careful. We don't want the wrong person. Can you imagine if we had to do what Paul just says, if you got to do if the elder stays in sin? Can you imagine having to stand up here in this pulpit and say, congregation, it's a bad day. So-and-so has done this. That would break my heart. So we want to be very, very careful. We want to be very, very careful. All right. Two more things. They're going to be short. Elders are still human. Read verse 23 with me. Um, I'm intentionally doing this before um, the next verse. So he's just said, and so let me put this in context, don't take part in the sins of others. In other words, as you're ministering to people, this is the, as you're counseling someone, Don't commit adultery with them. Let me be very blunt. Keep yourself pure. But then he says, no longer drink only a little water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. And before we get into what the Bible is teaching, I want us to be very careful. Um, this passage is a personal instruction from Paul to Timothy. And it does include instructions to drink some wine for stomach ailments. And by the way, this was common in the New Testament times. They didn't have Tums, I don't know. But they, they would do that for certain stomach and digestion problems. Let me be real careful, though. We don't know what his digestion problems were. We have no idea. Um, this passage is not an argument for or against alcohol. That, that's not the point of this passage. It was specific to a person, a place, and a situation. Again, we don't even know what the situation was. It does not condone alcohol use, but, but nor does it specify you shouldn't drink alcohol. We know from Scripture, so here, here's what Scripture is clear about. All drunkenness and sin. And according to this, drunkenness or addiction is disqualification from an elder or deacon role. It prevents someone from having that role. Paul says elsewhere, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. The opposite of being spirit-filled is being a drunk. That's, I mean, think how strong Paul is putting that. All right? In other words, if you are getting drunk, you are not spirit-filled. That's how strong Paul puts this. So let me just 
lay this and be very explicitly clear. If you have a problem with alcoholism, a.k.a. drunkenness, if you have a problem with alcoholism and you have a history of this, alcohol, you should avoid it like the plague. Be scared. Get away from it. Don't have it in your house. Don't be around it. Be scared of this. Um, some of you, and, and, and I want to, this is where, where we got to come hard. Some of you are relying on alcohol to solve your stress. Maybe you're not getting all the way drunk, but you are relying on that as a stress relief. You need it to relax. You need to stop. Was I clear in how strong I said that? Stop. It's idolatry. You are worshiping the Savior of alcohol. It's saving you from your stress instead of Jesus. Stop it. Turn to Jesus. He's a much better Savior. Turn to Jesus. But we also need to be very careful in this passage here. Because it does not condemn every use of alcohol. And Paul commended it to Timothy in this situation. So we also need to be very careful, and the Bible talks about condemning a brother who has a different conviction than you do. But let me get to really what this is saying, because this is where I want to go. Paul is saying that Timothy is actually human. He has stomach aches. He gets sick, he aches, he pains. Despite his call to leadership, his call to purity, he is a real, full human being. And I'm, I want to ask you, to remember that your elders and pastors, we are still human. We will and do make mistakes. I do. And, and if I have made those mistakes against you, I'm sorry. And you've been so gracious not to say it. Let me just blanket it. I'm sorry. I don't want to do that. I want to be a good pastor to you. We have bad days. We get low. We get tired. We get happy. We get lonely. We get worn down. We get melancholy. Just like all 7 billion people on this earth. Being a pastor doesn't exempt you from your humanity. And I want to ask you, remember that for us, please. As a pastor, please do that. Finally, elders and all of us must fight in the Spirit to be like Jesus. We need to fight to be holy. Remember remember I said we were going to come back to this? It says, do not take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. That word pure is the word we translate a lot as holy. Elders are to be holy. It was once said by a very famous person that when they met a Buddhist or, or, or one of the Eastern religions, when they met a monk or a religious leader, they met a holy man. And when they met an American pastor, they met a CEO. And that is a shame, shame on the American church. We're not CEOs. We're not the guys with the best ideas, the greatest speaking ability. We're to be holy as Jesus is holy. You know, some of us think, and we all do, I I know it in my own heart, that somehow, 
if we have an encounter, we call it salvation, we call it conversion, uh, this encounter with the God who created the universe, who takes away our sin by the blood of Jesus Christ, who adopts you as His child, who indwells you with the Holy Spirit, who commissions you as His ambassador, and changes your eternal destination, you think that can have no effect on your life. And you can live just like you did the day before. That's, that's just stupid. But how often... Do I do that? And do you do that? It, it, it's, it's dumb. If I lost my arm in a car accident this afternoon, it's probably going to change my life, right? How much more significant is the salvation of a great, holy God than losing a limb. But we act the same. God, forgive us for not putting forth grace-driven, Holy Spirit empowered. And I'm, please hear me. I'm not saying pull, you up, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. If you know Jesus, you've already been pulled up. But if you've been pulled up and you've been saved by the grace of Christ, Don't you dare act like He hasn't saved you. Worship Him and love Him as your dad He has become. Let's pray. God, may we worship You and praise You. Lord, I pray that You would make me and Joe and Chad and Jeff and Steve, make us good elders. Lord, we are inadequate to the task, but you are able. And Lord, I pray for every brother and sister in this church. I thank you for them. Thank you that you allow me to be their pastor. Lord, I pray that I would be a good pastor, and I pray that they would be a good disciple. Help us to do better at all of these things this week, Lord. And God, I pray for any brothers our sisters that are hurting, or that this has maybe exposed some sin, bring them to repentance. And Lord, I pray for any here who don't know you as Savior. Lord, it would be clear that my call to, to act holy, the Scripture's call to act holy, it's impossible for them till they know you, Jesus. And I pray that they would come to know you as their Savior. In Jesus' your name we pray. Amen.